Thank you, Jeff. The music is always wonderful. Uh, and now for, no, not, not, not necessarily. <laughs> anyway, it is time for our kids' corner here. So, kids, find your way up here, please. All right, so, got a question for you again, and it goes kind of like this. Are there classes or things at school that you have kind of a bad attitude about because you think that, oh, you know, I don't like this, or I don't need this, or it's hard to understand, or who can spell Mississippi anyway, or something like that? Any? What's that? (laughs) I mean, I think we all kind of have these, right? Um, and a number of years ago, we had a, a kid, one of your older brothers pulled this one. We were actually out shopping at Walmart one time. And the whole time I was there, Casey was grumbling about his math class. I don't know why we need to learn this. I never see you using any of this. So finally, I said, well, what are you learning in there? And he said, Percentages. Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. I use them every day. No, you don't. I never see you use that stuff. You know, but the point here is, you know, our attitude about it really matters, right? You know, so like, if you don't think you can learn it, are you going to likely learn it? Yeah, probably not. And so the Bible actually has kind of its own way of talking about attitude. And in the Bible, the word attitude doesn't really show up, but what is there is a word called spirit. And spirit is a lot like attitude. It's kind of like an attitude that actually motivates you to do something because it's connected to a real belief, you know? So like when you're thinking that you can't learn something or it's too hard to do, that's kind of like a real belief that you can't do it, right? But... Are you going to fall off? (laughs) Um, Anyway, Jesus talks to a man named Nicodemus in the Bible, and he tells Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to be born again. And Nicodemus is puzzled by that, because how do you get born once you're already born, right? And what Jesus is talking about, actually, is that we need a new spirit to come into our heart. You see, because the spirit that we have without Jesus is one that just looks out at the world and it doesn't really know why things happen or understand that, you know, can you see that there would be a really big difference between believing the things that Jesus say says versus believing that all the things that happened to me just happened because other people are rotten or I'm unlucky and it always just happens to me and there's nothing good that can... Or is it like Jesus says that all things work to the good for those that believe God? You know, so the lesson that I have for the big people today is going to be one where I talk about what life is like with each of those conditions, right? One without Jesus and then one with Jesus. See if you can figure out 
how different those outcomes are. Because they're going to be stark, right? They're going to be really big. Real big difference if you have Jesus or not, right? Okay, let's go back to our seats and Thank you for joining us today, Miguel. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be accepting in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So last week, I said that we all undergo spiritual formation one way or another, and that the spirit forms, the spirit that we have has been formed in us by the thoughts that we allow in, by the experiences we have, maybe emotions, depending on how much uh, emphasis or stock you put in your emotional experiences, also maybe by our choices. So we've all got a spirit in us that's actually been formed. It's an attitude of the heart that acts as kind of a control on our will. That is what the spirit is. But so you might ask, then, if we already have one, and even kids, you've already begun to develop and have one to some extent. If we already have one, why do we need to transform it? Why does it need to be changed? You know, and there are a lot of people that kind of bop through life with the idea that, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's a fair enough assessment, but how do you know if it's broken? And that's what I want to talk about today. You see, when life gets hard, and life is going to get hard, and it will for all of us, what do we do with that? Do we stand and say, why is this happening to me? Or do we use that as an opportunity for greater growth and say that in the end, this is going to be worth it not because it's even just going to do something for me personally, but it's going to be worth it because of the effect that it'll ultimately have even on other people. In other words, if I go through a difficult time, maybe that time serves to help me help others down the road. So the point of today's lesson is this. Without the illumination of the biblical prophecy we go through life with a naturally broken heart. That is, until we realize who God is and who we are in God's sight, we can't help but live by the flesh. What else is there? And this then reverberates throughout the entire individual, and it affects the way we think, it affects the way we read our emotions, it affects our actions and interactions, and eventually it affects our entire being, our soul. If the spirit controlling our heart isn't right, the soul is broken and life seems fragmented. And the more broken the soul, the more fragmented, the less sense we can make out of life and the things that happen in it. We begin to see life as a mere series of problems that just happen to us, and we don't see any rhyme or reason, and maybe we blame these things on luck or other people. If only, 
If only I'd have been in a better circumstance, then I'd have succeeded better. I'd have done more. If this person wouldn't have said this, then I could have done. But these, are, these aren't the real answers to life, are they? And, you know, just like with the kids up here, you could stay stuck in your bad attitude and never get good at math. But what purpose would it serve then? You know, we're not to remain stuck in these attitudes. And I want to be clear when I talk about a broken heart here in this sense. I'm not talking about areas where your heart aches for something. Those things are actually probably good. If your heart is aching for something, it's a good chance you're being prepared to do something. My, my heart has ached for the kids in Reading and their circumstances. So I became a teacher down there. And it's probably a good thing that 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 heartache has been part of my life because it's helped me understand kids and sometimes belligerent kids and why they're that way. So without the prophetic witness, we don't consider, as C.S. Lewis put it, that there are no mere mortal people among us. We are all here. We're all immortal beings. And strangely, it's precisely this intrinsic greatness of the person that makes the ruined condition such a horror, such a horrible thing. You see, the ancient church used to teach, and I'm talking now second and third century, that God has hidden the majesty of the human soul to prevent our ruin through vanity, that humanity is immensely worth saving, that that's why Jesus came, and that for something with such immense worth to go astray could only be described as a horror. In today's world, and think about this for a moment, this is the world we have today. The leaders of our world and those responsible for our society those who diagnose the problems in our world and who are responsible to guide the rest of us, this horror is non-existent. They don't see it, and therefore sin is not a condition of the human self, and it's not available as an explanation even for why life goes as it does. It's not an, it's not an explanation for addiction, or for failed marriage and relations. It's not an explanation for greed or other moral failures. You know, in psychology and education today, they don't improve the situation. They don't improve it because as institutions, they've adopted the attitude and the value that makes understanding the human self and therefore any remedy to better the human self, impossible. In the modern understanding, there's no room for the concept of evil, no recognition of the immensity of the loss of the righteous man, and no God without which meaning of life, the meaning of life becomes licentious freedom. You see, the real source of our failures lies in our choices. Choice is where sin dwells. Choice is a reflection 
of that spirit in our heart and its ability to control our will. The spirit, this motivating attitude, is the control center of every decision we make. And the Bible refers to these spirits in our heart variously as gods and idols and uh, elsewhere as evil spirits, which the Greek translates into the word demon. But we're, as Christians, supposed to adopt in this Holy Spirit. And this is a new belief guider that will enable our will in its decision-making. So that is, beliefs that stem from the Spirit result in real decisions and real action. It's not just, as I used the analogy last week, you know, I believe there's a tornado coming, so let's stand here and talk about the tornado. If I believe there's a tornado coming, I take action. I hide. I save people around me, right? So the Bible is the only source that provides the prophetic illumination of the human soul, and it's been doing this through thousands of years. It's, it's revealed the lostness in the starkest possible way over and over again from Moses to Samuel to David to Jesus to Paul and John. The only path to spiritual, trans <clears throat> spiritual transformation is through the illumination of biblical prophecy. And, and prophecy, in this case, what I mean is the biblical word here. Biblical teaching. Why? Because nothing else correctly diagnoses the problems. And without a correct diagnosis, the solutions just don't work. This is why, by the way, you know, Jesus called out the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. You know, you're pretty on the outside, but filled with rot on the inside. And this is the condition that our modern institutions sort of steer us to as well. Look, more self-esteem isn't going to cut it. And realistically, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. Um, there are a lot of serious problems, and we can't deny that. You know, the Pharisees that Jesus were speaking to, they were unable to believe in Jesus because they sought the honor of each other. Spiritual transformation is exactly the opposite from the desire to be exalted. It's the willing admittance that I need a new spirit. Yet in its process, interestingly and strangely, spiritual transformation will lift us higher than we could ever imagine going through human praise. You know, interestingly, without God, sensuality becomes the center in the ruined soul. Serving the creature, not the creator, as Paul puts it in Romans 1.25. We focus in on our freedom. But you know, real freedom always comes with more rules. It always comes with more responsibility. Look, it would be easy enough to make a law that says nobody gets to drive a car. 
wouldn't be any other rules we'd need. But if we're going to give people the freedom to drive cars, suddenly we need a whole bunch more rules that come along with that to prevent, our, prevent us from hurting ourselves and each other. And this is how it is with other freedoms as well. But the, in the ruined mind, in the ruined soul, we don't recognize that. It's just a drive toward greater self-gratification that opens up a life without boundaries. And nothing is forbidden. It's all about what you can get away with. And the question why becomes the question, why not? The ruined soul likely never sees that bad situations are opportunities for good or better situations. And often the harder the bad situation, the better the outcome can be ultimately. Because without God, there's no meaning in those experiences. It's just the chance that things happen. And there's no recognition that brokenness will happen but it can be replaced down the road by great joy as the heart expands. The outcome of the ruined soul is described in Romans 1, 29 to 32. It's described as unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, hatred, hatred of God, insolence, arrogance, boastfulness, inventors of new kinds of evil, disobedience toward parents without understanding, unloving, unmerciful. And though they knew God's con that God condemns these things, they encourage it in others as well. This is what lost is. Lost is basically being self-obsessed. It is idolatry of self, and it completely rearranges the spiritual landscape. John Calvin once said that the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. You know, and 500 years later, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would echo that and say that, you know, the primal relationship of man to man is intended to be a giving one. But in the state of sin, it becomes purely demanding. Therefore, every man chooses to live in voluntary isolation, living for his own will instead of living for the God of life. While no one abstractly chooses to go to hell, that is, no one says, yeah, you know what? Sounds like a great place, send me. While no one chooses that, or even chooses to become the kind of person who belongs there even, their orientation towards self turns them away from humbling themselves before God. And then rather than entering kingdom living now, the kingdom is at hand. We can walk right in. Rather than entering that now, they remain outside of it. In hell, them in hell, basically. But there are stark differences. You know, what do we get with that new heart? Well, we, get, we find peace, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which transforms all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We find that we're strong enough 
to handle crises. Psalm 326, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We begin to place our values in the right things and in the right people. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, <clears throat> we, we feel renewed. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve God's will. In this case, approve means you're agreeing with God's will in your life. You know, your, your mind is going to be renewed through agreeing with God's will. That is, you get a whole new thought life because the spirit in your heart has changed. We find true happiness. That's Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now really, this is one of those difficult situations because a lot of people will take that and say, I've desired this thing or that and well, God didn't give it. And, and we need to be careful with this because Jesus echoes this in his promises too. The desires of our heart are spiritual desires. That is, things that we want in the spirit. They're not physical things that we want. I want a spirit that is more loving and more compliant to God. And I contend to you that exchanging that spirit for one like that, you know, that would provide more satisfaction than the new car I think I need, the better iPhone that I think I want, you know, even probably the better relationships I pray for for my children, or even the times that I'm sick and I'm praying to get better from that, that I'm praying for that sort of healing. The spiritual healing is where I think it's at. We're rescued from pain, Psalm 34, 18. Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in the spirit. Or how about this? We experience real love, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still lost, Christ died for us. What if we did this for the rest of the world? What if we lived out a life like this? You know, I want to take a little second for a story here. A number of years ago, we had a, a neighbor that came to us in need and asked us if we could help make mortgage payments for the, them for a few months. And we did. We made their mortgage payments for three months, I believe, um, trying to think back on it, something like that. And I know at the time it was kind of a struggle because it's a big payment. And I wondered... You know, what am I trading off here? You know, because I would like a new car. I'd like a good vacation. I'd like all of these other things that I can do with my money. But, you know, now, 20-some years later, whatever it is that I would have otherwise picked to do with that money, it would be gone or over or finished. Even if I'd have bought a car, it would probably be in the junkyard by now. Um, well... I don't know, considering my van, maybe not. But um, <laughs> um, anyway, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about exchanging hearts here. I'm so glad I picked help my neighbor. 
because it's changed me, not just my neighbor. We conquer fear, John 14, 27. Peace I leave you, my peace, that is the opposite of fear. Peace is the opposite of fear. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. That is, I don't give expecting something in return. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So, folks, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love. This is Hosea 8, verse 10, I think. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. Break up the rock hard in your own heart. For now is the time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you.